Hello, and welcome to episode six of The Roadmap, the podcast on best practices and trending topics in auto finance. I'm William Hoffman, your host today and associate editor of Auto Finance News. This podcast comes from the Center of Auto Finance Excellence, the industry resource for auto finance professionals. Thank you to the generous support of Fiserv and Datascan for sponsoring the center. Today, we have Joe Chiofi, chair of the Insolvency Creditors' Rights and Financial Products Practices Group at Davis & Gilbert to discuss 2018 trends in the auto securitization space. Last year, he launched a blog called the Credit Chronometer, which typically delves into some of the more controversial issues impacting the auto finance industry. He tends to offer a view that challenges the assumptions lenders and analysts make. Today, I've asked him to come on to explain some of the oddities we've seen popping up in the auto securitization market. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Oh, thank you very much. Well, it's good to be here. So my interest in uh, the space uh, really peaked recently when I saw, you know, multiple subprime lenders issuing securitizations that are getting top rankings uh, from the credit agencies. Uh, And yet, you know, the underlying credit metrics are getting worse. We see lower FICOs, longer terms, less money down and so on. So so why are we seeing this in the space right now? That's a great question. I think it does seem surprising uh, when you first look at it. But I think, Will, we have to take a look first at what credit rating agencies do and what they don't do. Because credit rating agencies issue independent opinions. They're just that. They're just opinions. They're not representations. They're not legally actionable statements. Uh, If they turn out to be wrong, they're just opinions about the credit worthiness of securities. Their, Their ratings are really going to the likelihood that the investors are going to receive payments of interest in principle when they're supposed to. So they're just assessing risk. They're differentiating credit quality, but they're not speaking to uh, price risk, and they're never going to speculate. Their credit rating agencies are not in the job in the the business of speculating. So now a big reason you're seeing the high ratings on lower quality loan deals is the size of the credit enhancements in the deals. That's the secret sauce. It's the credit enhancements. Because the credit enhancements really provide the additional cash flow that can be used to offset losses. Um, And some of the major uh, credit enhancements that are are often used, and one of them you'll hear the term over-collateralization. That's basically the excess of loans put in the pool above the amount paid by investors. And then there is something called excess spread, which is the difference between the payments that are received from the borrowers and then the payments that go out to the investors. Now, there's also there's other forms of credit enhancements like subordination as well, and junior tranches supporting the senior tranches. And there's a relationship really between uh, the collateral, the, the quality of the collateral, and the amount of the credit enhancements that are required. The lower the quality, the higher the credit enhancements you'd expect to see. So you really, you know, I think about it, it's kind of like credit enhancements and um, and credit quality, like opposite ends of a seesaw. You know, if you see a lower average FICO in a pool, generally you should see higher credit enhancements. And the real, the, the issue and the real balancing part, though, that it's tricky to get right is that the credit enhancements have to be high enough to absorb the losses in the pool of loans in the trust. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, credit enhancements are so important that after the financial crisis in 2008, um, when S&P was defending itself against uh, sharp criticism, they pointed specifically to the size of the credit enhancements in those subprime RMBS deals as a main reason for why they gave the ratings that they did. And it's the same today. 
So, so how are those credit enhancements really bolstering these deals? Are they really, you know, is the over collateralization you're seeing in those deals enough to support the delinquencies and, you know, losses that we're seeing across the board, at least in the subprime deals? Well, I think you have to, you have to look at each uh, deal by itself because each deal had its own assumptions. You have, you have lenders who have specific track records, either good or bad. Um, and then you have uh, the expected uh, default rate, um, and those credit enhancements are set to get a specific rating. And when you see something get a triple rating, triple A rating, you see something get the high rating, um, there has been a determination that's been made that based solely on the facts as they exist right now, um, that those credit enhancements will hold up based on the loss assumptions, you know, based on the default assumptions and based on the loss assumptions. Now, um, several things play into losses. It's not just, obviously, just delinquencies, which turn into defaults, but then there's also the recovery rate that will determine um, the losses in the, in the pool as well. Um, so there are assumptions made as far as, you know, the recovery rate will remain stable or it will be at, you know, 50%, whatever their, the assumption is. Um, it's hard to say whether or not the uh, overall, whether or not the credit enhancements are sufficient or not, but investors, you really need to look at each individual, um, each individual deal. And, I, you know, my, my advice generally is, you know, the rating is just based on specific facts that exist right now. And as I said, the, the credit rating agencies won't speculate. So if you're looking at a deal, you really have to look at, you know, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What do you think is coming in the market? What is going to happen? I trust my senses more than I would trust or totally trust in a letter grade based solely on facts that exist today. And, and you know, based on my reporting for the past, you know, year or so looking at you know, some of the top trends in 2017, you know, we've really seen uh, industry players pull back, you know, especially sort of in the, the prime uh, sectors. Um, are we going to start seeing delinquencies and charge-offs come down this year, you know, especially amongst those prime players? And why is it not necessarily translating to the subprime space? Well, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is, um, or I'd say it's kind of hard to see what's happening in the marketplace. There's such a divide between the lenders who have pulled out of subprime and the ones that are diving in. When we look at top-line data, sometimes you just really can't tell what's going on. I think, you know, at the end of last year, Delinquencies were up versus last year. I believe they're at the highest level since 2012. But also the pace of delinquencies have also been slowing now that there's less subprime. And, you know, most delinquencies occur within a year and a half to two years in. So you're going to start seeing the outlook for performance is actually going to get better. I, I think it will, um, at least in the first half of the year or so, you're going to see the trend continue. You're going to see the, um, the, the delinquency rate um, not really, not inch up, and your things are going to look good, and they're going to look safer. But you know, things are going to go in cycles; they always do, right? And so, you know, I kind of look at this like, um, you know, binging leads to dieting. You know, and dieting leads to binging. Um, you know, sometimes you watch what you eat, you lose a few pounds, you you think you're doing well, and then so you think you're safe to eat that chocolate cake. You go out and eat the cake. Next thing you know, you're five pounds heavier, and you're back to where you started again. You got to go on a diet. I think the pullback from subprime is making the market look healthier than it potentially is, and the lenders who have been on the sidelines are going to be tempted to come back into the market 
And when that happens, I think you're going to see delinquencies start to rise. So I'd expect, you know, things to start to look good this year. And then at some point, we don't know exactly when, but at some point when the, the lenders who have been watching rather than doing get back into the market, um, then you're going to see the delinquencies tick up again. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, it's always interesting talking with you because, you know, when I talk with the credit aid, credit agencies, you know, it's pretty much a unanimous uh, consensus that these deals are pretty well protected with, you know, over collateralization. They're, you know, protected from these things. We're seeing, you know, positive trends from lenders in terms of lowering lowering the delinquencies. Um, So why do you sort of differ from that? And why do you see it kind of coming to a head in the future? Well, you know, I hear the same things, Will. (laughs) And I I hear them uh, directly. Um, You know, I think when everyone is convinced that something can't happen, I think that's the time to expect that it will. And, you know, I'm very much in favor of a critical look and analysis and then having a rational debate if there's a difference of opinion. And I think since my first analysis at the end of last year where I said people should take a closer look at credit enhancements, I think that actually has happened. Um, People have kicked the tires. You know, analysts have kicked the tires and the rating agencies have gone back. Um, through the deals uh, to either firm and sometimes upgrade their their uh, their ratings uh, rather than than downgrade them. Um, but I think the the issue though is that even though after my analysis I've been seeing the credit enhancements generally increase. What I didn't expect to see though was the credit enhancements increase increasing, but also accompanied by the lower credit quality. So, you know, all things being equal, the lower the credit quality, the higher credit enhancements the rating agency should require. So things are working the way they're supposed to. But at some point, credit enhancements may not be able to absorb a shock to the economy, to the economy excuse me, or a shift in the market. And I, I don't think these massive credit enhancements now should really be seen as a deodorizer for uh, terrible quality loans. If you have more bad loans in a deal, that's not going to help very much if there is, again, that, that shock or shift in the market. You know, I, I, again, in my analogies, I kind of look at this as driving a, you know, four-wheel drive, a four-wheel drive car or SUV on ice. You, know, you see people out there that think they're safe because they got the four-wheel drive and they're in their big SUV, but four wheels can slide just as well as two, two wheels can slide. And I think some more bad loans in a deal isn't going to be very helpful. At that point, there wouldn't be any solace in a AAA rating. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the similar concern that I had with these deals was, you know, on a high level, we hear that these are performing well. And, you know, certainly the industry has performed well uh, for the past few years. Um, but it is concerning to see those, uh, you know, worsening credit metrics. Um, you know, if I go through even, you know, Fitch Ratings uh, Auto Index, which is, you know, one of the many auto indexes out there. I mean, we see subprime annual net losses in January. We're at uh, 9.6% in subprime. Um, I mean, that's uh, at the peak of, you know, the the crisis, it was at, you know, 13%. And then, you know, on 60-day delinquencies in January, it was 5.27%, you know, also getting up there to to almost 6% it was during the the financial crisis. So I think the thing that concerns me there is just that, you know, we're we're seeing – these bad credit metrics uh, at a time when really the economy is performing quite well. I mean, we're seeing low unemployment, we're seeing, 
uh, good overall metrics in the economy in general. So why are we seeing these, you know, high delinquencies and losses? Yeah, I think I think you hit on a real uh, problem, Will. I think, I think we can you see the underlying current there, right? And I and I think that these um, credit enhancements that they are so high. You also have to remember that it's also very expensive. It gets more and more expensive for issuers the more uh, credit enhancements are are relied upon to cover up or deodorize, you know, the the the, the poor performance. Um, and I think you know the credit rating agencies also. Um, have learned somewhat you know, in their experience too. So you'll, you're, I think you're going to start to see um, the, the ratings kind of um, you know, not be as tied directly to credit quality and credit enhancements as much as also who are we talking about as the lender and the issuer and what's the track record of performance and all. So uh, other factors are going to uh, come into play. And as far as the fundamentals of the economy, I think you're, you're right. I mean, we often hear about the fundamentals being very strong, but are they really when it comes to auto lending? You know, it's a little, let's just look at the little um, the micro economy of just what's going on and what affects auto lending. Um, as you mentioned, I think the, the high level of employment is helping loan performance right now, but we have interest rates rising, right? And we have them going even higher. And, you know, all consumers can, can read the news and see that they, they can expect interest rates to be higher. And we know that over 90% of vehicles uh, purchased are actually financed. Um, so higher interest rates are going to make it uh, harder for people or be less inclined to move from their current car and make a new purchase. And if people are less inclined to make new purchases, um, then there are going to be more and more discounts to drum up sales. And if there are more and more discounts to drum up sales and cars aren't necessarily moving as fast as they should or um, the auto industry wants them to, well, then you turn to the financing sources and you know, the financing sources say, look, well, maybe we can make some uh, loans to the riskier edges of the market to buoy the, to the auto sales. And if you even go beyond the auto market itself, you look at how high household debt is and you look at you know, the student loan problem and credit card debt, consumers basically today have more choices for credit than they ever had in the past, including all the unsecured loans being offered by online lenders. So my, my thinking here is that it's just easier for the auto loan borrower to get in trouble with all those other loans. Um, and if they do, you know, I wouldn't be so sure that it's um, the auto loan that is going to be the first choice for uh, borrowers to pay off. You know, in the past, we, we've heard that borrowers will pay on their cars rather than their homes because they need the car to get to work. Well, you know, we, we hear every day about the advances in technology and we hear about advances in um, expansion of ride-sharing and ride-hailing uh, services. And so car ownership is not as desirable across the country as it has been in the past. There are alternatives, and the writing is on the wall in that respect. It's just a matter of time before uh, the consumer trends really catch up with the performance in the auto market, which will uh, ripple through to lending and securitization. So closing out a little bit, you know, what, what are sort of your overall predictions for the ABS market? How, how are lenders, how should lenders be reacting to these trends that we're seeing across the industry? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, we hit on a few of them, but, um, you know, to, to summarize, I would really look at the, the risks in terms of the three main areas that, you know, affect whether you're a lender or you're, whether you're an investor rippling through from the auto market to the securitization market. I really would 
you know, look at what's going on in the auto market, look at what's going on around in, in lending practices, and look at securitization practices. Because it, and, and to start off with the auto market, you know, if subprime auto ABS does go off a cliff, I think any postmortem that's done is going to begin with what we're seeing now in the auto market, because it's looking like the greatest source of risk for 2018. I think we're seeing the sales being propped up by large incentives, and we know depreciation is accelerating faster than ever because of all the technological advancements. And that can cause a lot of problems going forward, because as we know, lower value in the vehicle means greater negative equity for consumers, and if there's greater negative equity, that puts pressure on the consumers on their current loans to, you know, for them to continue paying on their current loans, but also puts them behind on the next vehicle when the negative equity is rolled in to some extent on the new loan. So that's a, an area of concern. And that competition for the next sale that we're going to see, the, the big fight for the, in the auto market for, for, the, um, for the next sale, it really creates risks in, in lending practices themselves. Um, and I think, as I mentioned, we're going to see the tendency for lenders who have been on the sideline, including the, the larger lenders like JPMC and all, to, to get back in because the, the more aggressive lenders are going to be gaining more share as, they, as dealers fight for sales. I think they'll be turning to these alternative financing sources and the larger lenders who have been conservative are not going to want to stay on the sidelines for very long. Um, they may not be able to resist uh, re-entering the fray. And that leads to problems in the securitization market because, as we mentioned, you know, we talked about how the, if we have lower credit quality, that's going to drive the need for greater credit enhancements to get the desired credit ratings. Um, and higher credit enhancements are more expensive for issuers. So we'll see how far we're going to uh, go in terms of massive credit enhancements kind of covering up the lower credit quality. And I think the rating agencies, rating agencies as I mentioned, are going to be looking at other factors then um, to be more bespoke maybe in terms of tailoring these ratings for the issuer and the lenders based on their past performance. And mm -hmm. I would just, you know, I would tell folks, so lenders and investors, again, to um, trust what they've experienced before in the last cycle of subprime and what they're seeing coming down the market, more so than whether or not there's a, a AAA rating or what the rating may be, because those, those ratings are really just based on um, you know, the present situation, just the current facts, and, a, and nothing's really to do with what may happen in the future. And what, uh, what we know is that downgrades are are possible. They've happened before and they can happen again. A lot of trends to follow there, but uh, it's, it's all connected for sure. Joe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Will. As always, episodes of The Roadmap will be posted on autofinanceexcellence.org, uh, which we encourage everyone to join. Uh, you can subscribe to the center's newsletter there, as well as daily alerts on autofinancenews.net. Uh, we'll be back next month with another edition of The Roadmap. Thanks.